Hey, you freaks! Strength Talking Shop podcast. This week's guest is Alex Macon of Hanover College. Um, I can't thank him enough for coming on and being a part of the podcast. Um, Alex is somebody that I've kind of followed for a really long time. I think he's doing great things at Hanover uh, Division Three school over in Indiana, rich in some history, and he's doing a lot with their strength conditioning program. Uh, just really proud of him and what he's doing over there, and he's a great resource for all the coaches to reach out to. Um, him and I talked for a really long time. Um, on the phone uh, before and after the podcast and I really hope you guys get some good information out of him for this episode I think there's a lot of good quality content that he puts out there uh, making it worth a big time where he's at so I just really appreciate having Alex on Uh, coaches reach out to him he's a great resource like I said he thinks he's a really bright mind in this field Um, we both really just kind of discuss a lot of great topics on this episode as always if you could please share um, subscribe the podcast uh, if you might know somebody that might like it, just send it out to them. And as always, you can always reach out to me on Instagram. Um, Strength Talking Shop One is the username. So feel free to reach out to me. Uh, maybe if you want to be a guest, maybe you have a suggestion or something like that. But here we go. Here's the episode Alex Macon, Hanover College. And always stay strong. What's up, guys? Strength Talking Shop podcast. Uh, guest today is Alec Macon, uh, Director of Sports Performance at Hanover College. Uh, Coach, how are we doing this morning? Excellent, mate. Uh, look, they're doing very well on this uh, Saturday morning. Perfect. Good. I got my cup of coffee here. I'm ready to get it rolling. So, uh, Coach, let's go ahead and talk about you know where you're at right now uh, What would, and how was your journey uh, getting there to, to Hanover? Yeah, look, I... Um Long story short, um, just to the beginning, I actually fell uh, into Hanover uh, based on sort of my wife being a, a local to the Madison, Indiana area. Um, so I lived back in Australia. I came to college in the US, um, came to St. Joseph's College up in northwest Indiana, and then um, kind of bounced around, did a little bit of the, the semi-professional soccer gig and, and realized that I'd kind of tapped out where I was going to go with that. Um, and obviously as, as sort of the population of athletes, you sort of have those guys that love the preseason, they love the, the sports performance side, the strength and conditioning side, and there's, there's guys that will kind of attack that a little bit harder than, than your other athletes. Um, so I ended up kind of seeing that as my, my path, that I wanted to, I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. Um, ventured back home and, I've got to give full credit to uh, Sean O'Shea, um, definitely one of my main mentors. He um, works at a facility, performance personal training. Um, hadn't heard anything about me and kind of gave me a shot to, to prove myself and spent two phenomenal years working working back there before my wife and I relocated back to the US. So once we arrived back in the US, we um, kind of... I'd, I'd had a couple of part-time um, days for an internship out at Marshall University in West Virginia. Um, and kind of we had to look at, uh, because I wasn't able to, to officially work, um, we had to kind of look a little bit more local. Uh, and then my wife's high school, uh, Switzerland County High School, and the, the athletic director there at the time, David Todd, uh, actually got me in contact with the athletic director at Hanover College, um, 
and I kind of volunteered there with their women's basketball team and then soccer team. So that kind of spiralled into um, some sort of part-time positions and, and building a bit of a reputation, building a bit of a, a schedule with different teams that wanted to jump on board. Um, I mean, obviously, when you say you're willing to volunteer, uh, many people are going to take you up on that offer. Mm-hmm. So as of this past August, uh, my position was was made official. I'm working with all 14 sports, 23 teams, um, between 470 and 500 athletes. Uh, so I guess I've kind of skipped the whole intern, assistant, um, and the path that most people take to get to director. And I'm, I'm now running the, the entire program that we've kind of looked to build from the ground up. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story there. Was there ever a, a time there in the beginning um, where you were maybe thinking, man, like this is going to be a really long, drawn-out process? Um, you know, is this ever really going to happen with getting that full-time gig and stuff like that? Because um, I know a lot of us have probably, you know, we've all experienced it at one point where you've got to take that route of, you know, is it time to go a different way or, or something like that? Was there ever a, a bend in the road like that? Oh, definitely, definitely. It, it was one of those things that you sort of, you sort of look at it and, and you can see the, the responsibilities start to increase. And, um, I mean, look, I dare say my challenges are very similar to a lot of other Division three schools in terms of uh, when I first arrived, we were sort of working with um, substantially dated equipment, uh, substantially sort of older facility and small spacings, only sort of three, four racks, um, and sort of minimal platforms and, and equipment to use. So it's kind of the logistics thing that you sort of look at and like you sort of said, is it worth investing that amount of time into something that um, could take a lot longer than anticipated? Yeah, definitely. When, when you were kind of down with the, you know, those tiny resources, you said three or four racks and everything like that, you know, how did that make you better as a coach? Look, uh, as I mentioned, the logistics side of things, when when you've got both uh, multiple teams and multiple sessions, yeah. um, one of the main struggles that we face at Hanover is a lot of our athletes uh, or students in general uh, run classes from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. So uh, I give full credit to my athletes. They're dedicated enough to come in at, at 5.45 in the morning. We get two to three sessions in between um, 5.45 and, and 8 a.m. when they have to go to class. And then we, we manage to get um, sort of four or five sessions between the hours of 4 p.m. and 8, 8.30 at night. So uh, they, they're, they're asked a lot at Hanover. Um, I asked a lot of them. And we, we kind of – we have to swing between the space that we have and the number of athletes we have. Um, so it's, it's kind of a – a fine tune of what teams are doing what exercises and what sessions are program with with what teams at different times, um, and then of course what teams are in season and what teams are out of season, and and kind of what they they require for for any given session. Yeah. What now? Um, now, how big is your staff? Is it just yourself? Um, do you have you know other people on staff? So the majority of the time it's just myself. Okay. Um, we're, we're Starting to build, I'm working very closely with the, uh, the kinesiology department. We have a very good KIP uh, program at Hanover College. Um, so every now and then I'll get some, some interns and things like that. But uh, 
but for the most part, it's a it's a one man staff, mm-hmm. um, and I I'm kind of configuring what times and and what things one man can do. Uh, sort of on the, the the lesser judgment, I um, I decided to take on two. I'm sure my wife can attest. Uh, I take on plenty of roles, and I actually took on both um, goalkeeper coach for men and women's soccer as well. So um, that in itself posed a few roadblocks in terms of one person being in one place at, at multiple times. So, Yeah, that's awesome, man. So you talked about you deal with up to you know 400-plus athletes. Um, how do you get that you know limited schedule with kids and stuff like that? How do you get that buy-in for the kids? Um you know, D three school. I'm sure it's tough to get those kids initially um, in at five thirty in the morning or in the evening time like that. You know, how'd you kind of build that culture there at Hanover? Look, and it all comes down to I've, I've heard many coaches say it before. Um, the energy we bring is, yeah. is infectious, and I mean, I'm sure you've experienced many times. You 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 come in and and if you're in a bad mood, it's a very much a a waterfall effect, a domino effect between um, every athlete in there and it, it spirals downhill very quickly. So um, many times I'm that, I'm that annoying guy that comes in and, and they're three quarters asleep, not even half asleep, um, and I'm looking to, to kind of set the mood. Um, the music's already going when they come in. Everything's already set up. Um, and I make sure that what I expect from them for the day uh, is what I set myself as I as I get in there in the morning. Yeah, I like what you just said right there. You're setting the expectation. You know, I just had a conversation with a uh, with a coach about this, and they were kind of just asking me some advice um, on kind of what was, you know, they were kind of the mood of the the workouts weren't going very great. And I said the exact thing you said. I said, are you setting the expectations for the athletes? And I found if you set that expectation of you know this is the work we're going to do today. And you know, from from your experience, you sometimes got to change things up on the fly a little bit too. You know, um, I think Buddy Morris talks about if he's got a bunch of athletes that are chirping, you know, talking like a bunch of house moms before the workout, then they're ready to go. Let's get it rolling. But if they're laying and they're sounding like crickets on the foam roller, that you know, we got to change the workout up. And um, I, I love what you just said right there, setting that expectation for the athletes, and really kind of building upon the energy of the morning or that afternoon uh, so you can have a, a great workout session and stuff like that. I think that's that pays dividends for the athletes and buy-in. Yes, definitely. And, and look, I mean, it's, it's taking some time. Um, there's obviously your, your football team, your, your basketball team, um, they're, they're going to have the, the track team, they're going to have their – their preconceived motivation that that they're traditionally used to lifting, um, yeah. and now I, I really enjoy the fact that everyone from my my cheerleaders to my my stunt team to um, men's tennis, women's tennis, golf, uh, we're getting so many so many athletes coming in, and and every one of my teams, I can honestly say, um, there's there's different personalities and there's there's different energy levels. Um, but on, on the whole, my, my athletes are bringing it every single day. Yeah. And, I, I, again, another point that I'd like to point out to the listeners that you just said there is you're not going to treat every single team the exact same with, with, with your energy. You know, volleyball might be a little bit different than football, and I think that's the, uh, I think that's the, the big takeaway right there is that you're going you're gonna to treat everything just a little bit differently. 
Um, some things are going to be the same, but you can't train your volleyball girls exactly the same as your football guys because you might not get the same result and that same energy back from them. So I think that's a big point. I think the listeners should listen to what you just said right there. No, definitely. And, and I think the, the, the one word that I, I kind of uh, commit myself to is, is chameleon. Um, ah, yeah. There's going to be teams like football that you need to bring that, that high level. And, and, and as you said, if I'm coming at the volleyball coming at the volleyball team like that, they're sort of shying away and they're, they're not exactly uh, in the zone to work out if I'm, I'm using just the same techniques with, with every single team, with every single athlete. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, um, I think a lot of the times you'll bring that same energy and you think, oh, well, why isn't the – why isn't the men's soccer team acting like my basketball boys and all this stuff? It's like, well, they're different. Like you said, they have, they all have different personalities. And um, and another thing I think that gets lost in the, in the transition sometimes is that, um, you know, these kids are there to play their sport. Uh, they're not necessarily there to be weightlifters. We're not there to make powerlifters. We're not there to make weightlifters. We're there to, you know, get them ready for their sport and everything like that. And I think that's where it kind of gets lost in the shuffle, too, of the athletes and everything like that. Absolutely, and look, one of the things I, I, I again, I, I give full credit to all of my athletes because at the Division Three level, you you are playing a sport because you want to play that sport. Yeah. There's no financial incentive for, for athletic participation. There's there's a lot of demands, like I said, that you're expected to do certain things within, obviously, regulations and stuff like that, or you're asked of certain things. Um, and I mean... I have kids come in and, and they're the weightlifters and I have kids come in that love to do it because they know they're getting stronger. Um, and then I have just true athletes that love their sport and the weight room is the last thing on their mind. Um, but they come in knowing that, as I say to them, the worst you're going to get out of this is you're going to improve in your sport. Yeah. Um, and that's something that come in, invest in, in getting better. You may not be setting PRs every week, um, but we're looking at, again, how well do you move on the field? How well do you move in the pool? Um, how well do you move on the court? Things like that. Nice. Now, how, what, uh, what kind of feedback are you getting back from the athletes and stuff like that in regards to, you know, the weight room? And when I ask that, I mean, like, are you guys, is there any technology you guys are using? Um, is there any kind of um, survey that you're giving the athletes or anything like that? Look, we, we don't tech, like we don't have much technology. Yeah. Um, so essentially we, we just um, had a, a recent weight room renovation um, where we've increased to, to 14 racks. Um, we've worked on getting some TVs. We've worked on getting um, the train with push. Um, so we work with the push technology. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's made it very, very beneficial for myself um, and the efficiency of how our programs run. Um Ideally, I'd like to start to, to incorporate some more technology. Um, the kinesiology department helped out with the push technology um, and some catapult units. So overall, look, my, my response from my athletes comes back with me knowing that I'm doing everything I can to provide them the resources yeah. um, that they need to get better. And and look, the my reward is coming back. I had a young kid, I'll... I'll Put him, uh, put him out there. I won't, I won't say names, but on my my men's lacrosse team, he came to me and said, "Coach," he said, "My dress pants didn't fit for the first time in my life," and and that that to me is one of those things that you look at 
as a big reward. He, the, the lacrosse team has invested into what we're doing, everything from, again, the basic strength to the nutrition. And overall, again, the cliche comment is that the athletes understanding how much you care, not caring how much you you know sort of thing. I mean, I, I think I massacred that quote, but um, it's one of those things that, that just the face-to-face feedback, I think we, we tend to drift away from the the actual social contract yeah. and, and we rely a lot on numbers these days to tell us how effective we are. And I, I'm sure my athletes can attest the relationship I have with them kind of stands for itself. That's huge. I love that you just said that, that face-to-face contact with the athlete. I think that that is, um, like you said, something we get lost with the technology. We get lost in these numbers and this data and stuff like that. It's, let's just have a simple conversation with the athlete and see, how are you feeling? Um, what's going on in your life? And then you kind of, you know, like you said, it avalanches from there. You create that relationship, and that's where that culture comes in there. So I think what you just said was, was really big that I think a lot of coaches need to take uh, from that conversation. Let's kind of dive in a little bit here. Um, how are you training your athletes? Um, you know, kind of what's the philosophy? What's your system in taking care of the athletes? Yeah. So, so overall, what what we uh, what we look to do is I'm I'm very much a, a conjugate style training um, type coach. So we we hit our our maximal effort list through the the beginning of the week and our our speed work at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, with additional sort of accessory days in there. Um, at, at the end of the day, there's certain workout programs that that I'm using that will cater to the needs and the, the wants of each team. So um, as we sort of mentioned before, a football team's not going to train the same as a volleyball team. So mm-hmm. the, the philosophy behind us is just eliminating the weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So we, we focus a lot on the the muscles that the groupings that are going to improve you um, in any given sport that you're playing um, and essentially making sure that when you go out to the field, you feel the most prepared um, that you can be and essentially um, taking away areas that are going to cause you issues um, in, in your performance. Um, we take a long-term approach so each year we're looking to build um, and our, our overall philosophy consists of year one, um, buying. Freshman year, how do you find the program? Let's get you bought into the process. Year two, um, you truly start to invest in the program. Um, you've seen your first 12 months go by. You've kind of gone from that, that high school athlete to um, – that, that collegiate athlete, you, mm-hmm. you get into your adult structure, I guess. Um, and then as, as they get into their junior and senior year, we kind of fine-tune what they want. Um, how successful do you want to be? Are you are you content with getting to an all-conference selection or, or an all-region selection? Um, are you content with having consistent play where you where you get the numbers that you, you want every week? Um and then as you get to junior, junior and senior year, you become, you become my advocates and my coaches. So um, I guess referring back to my one-man staff, um, I take that back in a way because my, my juniors and seniors, now that I've, I've had them for a couple of years, um, now assist me very, very well in 
getting the freshmen to understand what's expected of the program and what they can get out of it if they fully invest into what we're trying to do at Hanover. That's awesome. So um, I think what you talked about there with having the juniors and seniors kind of reach out to those freshmen and sophomore, that's going to make your job easier um, in a way because you can spend a little bit more time, you know, not, you know, you've already set the culture with these junior and senior kids. They can kind of, I wouldn't say almost do everything on their own, but you can kind of look away and say, okay, I need to focus on these freshmen guys because maybe their squat patterns terrible, they're clean, whatever it is that we can focus in on that. Is that what you're kind of talking about there a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So, so basically my, my trade-off for, for my juniors and seniors is that I'm going to invest more time into um, giving them programs that excel them to the next level yeah. um, by getting them to assist me in making sure that if, if they see something that I don't deem to be acceptable in terms of technique quality, they're gonna they're gonna reach out to a freshman, they're gonna call out a freshman and say, Hey, let's let's work on this or let's let's change this. Um, and that makes my job very, very easy that I give them the basics and then they understand um, what I expect in terms of the technique, the quality of the movement. Um, and in return, as I mentioned, they get then the kind of extended program um, that kind of maybe pushes them outside of their comfort zone, which many of them are asking for, um, to get them to that next level. Yeah. So they, they understand your philosophy, they understand what you want, and then they can feed that into those younger guys. That's great. So why what what led you to the conjugate method? Myself, I love the conjugate method. Anything Louis puts out there. Of course, former guest Nate Harvey, anything like that. Why conjugate? What 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 brought you to the conjugate method and and stuff like that? Yeah, look, um, when I was back in Australia, we um, I'd sort of read a little bit up on on Louis and and this whole concept of or this this facility known as Westside Barbell, and and I was kind of intrigued and and sort of across the years, um, personally, um, as as you sort of mentioned, you're, you're a big fan, and personally, I feel like it it gives me the ability to. Um, cover all bases rather than sort of your traditional linear progressions um, where many of the qualities are, are sort of um, pushed to the side when, when focusing on, on one aspect. Um, and I've had great success through uh, my own training with that and, um, and then sort of as that translates into movements on the field, I find that, that having the ability um, to understand just a large library of, of movements and a large library of exercises and a large library of, of training styles. Um, I've come back to Westside every single time. I've come back to Conjugate every single time. Um, and looking back into sort of obviously the, the previous concurrent methods, um, your Verkashanskis, your Dr. Yesis, like things like that that just really, I feel like as coaches we find a niche that we we really relate to mm-hmm. um, and the conjugate style of training is something that I find easy to explain. Um, I find easy to um, express to my athletes and they find it simple to understand. So that, that's why I sort of drift towards that, that conjugate style of training. Yeah. I really, uh, to kind of go off that point too as well, what I found with athletes is 
It's like you said, it's really easy to explain. What I want you to do is I want you to hit a max effort exercise here. We're going to hit you're going to hit one rep. We're going to try and get three of those within, you know, a certain weight. On dynamic effort. Okay, I'm going to put a little bit of, you know, accommodating resistance or maybe I'm not even going to put any on there. I want you to press this as fast as you possibly can for three reps and then in a minute you're going to do it again. I mean, it it doesn't get any simpler than that in my opinion. Exactly, and, and look, that's I think one of the main things I've had to, to kind of express to the guys, male populations in particular, um, that, that it doesn't need to be heavy every single day. And, yeah. and I'd sort of come into a, a, a scene of bench press heavy on Monday, uh, bench press similar weight, but as heavy as you can go on Wednesday, bench press a little bit heavier because you feel a little bit better because you're backed off on Wednesday, so you're benching again on Friday, or vice versa with a squat, a deadlift, and um, between sort of our accommodating resistance and the, the push technology, um, I've allowed the, the athletes to sort of see the benefits to moving the lighter weights quickly and, and moving the heavier weights less frequently and, and not just destroying their central nervous systems um, by a, a Monday, Tuesday, and, and absolutely frying themselves for competition on the weekend. Do you find this too with your athletes? This is a question I always kind of wonder in my head. And I think back when I was maybe in sports and stuff like that, and I had a coach doing conjugate stuff, it kind of brings a little bit of fun to the exercise selection too as well for the kids because, you know, how many times are kids coming in and they're like, oh, we're going to back squat again today or, oh, we're going to clean today. Here I can say, well, we're going to do, you know, this. We're going to do a little bit, you know, change it up. Do you find that the kids kind of like that where they're not necessarily going to be doing the same thing for the next eight weeks? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it, I'm sure you can attest at 5.45 in the morning um, after after week, week three or four, if they're looking at a back squat again, um, that, that cricket that cricket sound starts to, to become apparent again and, and the motivation's uh, slightly hindered when, when it comes to sort of the same program uh, week in, week out. So, no, 100%. The, the variation of movement and knowing that, oh, wow, we're doing something different already again today and, and getting them to understand it's still the basic premise to the workout yeah. uh, was a little bit tough but then kind of consistently reviewing that and going over it and saying, look, we're doing the same thing, but we're varying up um, the movements we're doing. So they kind of understand that, that there is a protocol of some sort of main squat, deadlift, bench press, overhead press, um, things like that, followed by some sort of low back, hamstring, quad, um, shoulder type exercise that, it's always going to be kind of a similar framework. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing is keeping the framework the same, uh, but varying up, uh, varying up the finer points to that. Yeah. Uh, I think you just nailed it on the head there. I think conjugate is perfect for college athletes, in my opinion, or high school athletes in general, because like you said, it's not college athletes are so strange. And the fact of like, they've got, like you said, at a D three school, They've got so many stressors going on outside of the weight room. And the conjugate method is so easy in the fact of, like we said, we can just plug in a few things. And less is more, in my opinion, too. I, I don't know if you see this or I see a lot of coaches where they kind of miss where we've got, like we're doing like 15 exercises in a workout. And they're wondering in like three weeks why their kids are like 
drained and like their numbers are going down and injuries are happening. Where I think if maybe I wouldn't say you don't have to take a conjugate approach, but maybe less is more. Have you kind of found that too as well that the conjugate allows you to do a little bit uh, bang for your buck in the exercise selection and stuff like that? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, and, and I'm sure you've experienced this many times. Um, when when you've got that that fifteen, ten to fifteen additional exercises at the end of the day, um, form can become very very questionable. And oh, and yeah. I think if you've got three exercises where you can give them, um, and again, I'll thank my wife for this one. Um, the rule of three. Uh, keep keep my coaching points to, to three different three different coaching cues. Um, so if I'm giving them essentially nine different cues across three different exercises, it's much easier for me to, to kind of keep that in check rather than them getting 30 plus um, across the period of sort of 20 minutes. And, and you find that if they're doing four or five different back exercises, four or five different um, hamstring exercises, we, we kind of utilize our toolbox within the first couple of weeks and, and as you said, we, we start to find an increase in injury. We start to find an increase in kind of the, the staleness that well, we've already done these over and over again. And, and I think we overcomplicate it as coaches and we, we start to kind of look for that bosu ball, one-legged handstand um, with a frisbee and, and kind of a basketball in one hand. That We look for that exercise that really has that pizzazz when if we focus on sort of three main lifts um, for our accessory block, uh, we can really fine-tune the, the quality of movement. Yeah, I just uh, – I love that. I just had a conversation with um, uh, a coach, and uh, he's kind of going over uh, – I'm preparing for a powerlifting meet here in a few weeks, and uh, we were kind of going over my accessories, and he said, holy shit, man. He's like, what are you doing here? It was kind of that same aspect. He's like, you're using – he didn't use the exact phrase you did, which I love what you said there with the toolbox. He's like, you're util- utilizing every exercise that you can. Let's limit this down to maybe uh, four movements versus you know eight movements as your accessories. And if for me, it completely changed my training up. I was able to recover better between exercises, and, you know, and I was able to hit my main lifts a little bit better. And I've made much more progress by maybe switching out the exercises maybe three or four weeks versus doing eight exercises for an accessory day and you're you know, like you said your hamstrings and your low back are cooked for a week and then you can't you can't do anything else for the rest of the week you know so. yeah definitely and, and look i think it also comes down to time factor too i mean yeah no doubt being being a busy guy like yourself um and and kind of same in in my role and and particularly with the athletes i mean at that if i'm keeping them there any more than than sort of 50 to 55 minutes um, and many times I get them for 45 minutes, um, we're starting to say, they're starting to sort of say, hey, coach, I've got sorority meetings, fraternity meetings, uh, business scholar meetings. So they're, they're very stretched in terms of their time. So yeah. to me to say, hit these, hit these three accessories, four accessories, and make sure that you do them very, very well, um, their time is not being burns up with with such an extravagant amount of accessories as well yeah i love that yeah i think the accessories are are a big point of programs that i see they kind of miss on a little bit where we could get a big bang for your buck and we don't have to 
like I love what you said there, utilizing the whole toolbox. I'm going to steal that from you. So if I uh, if you see that if you see that somewhere, it's from you. Yeah, and and I'll have to I'll have to be honest. I'm sure I've seen the toolbox reference somewhere before, but um, I guess for the purposes of today, I'll um, I'll accept uh, credit for that one. <laughs> of course. Let's um kind of switch gears a little bit here. You know, um, where do you kind of see the profession going um, in strength and conditioning and being a physical preparation coach? Where do you kind of see that going? Where do you kind of hope it kind of grows a little bit um, in the profession and stuff like that? Look, I mean, um, from my perspective, sort of in the, in the position I am um, right now, I think one of the problems, sort of the, the Division three level coaches, maybe even NAIA coaches, things like that, um, they face potentially sort of the, the fear of other coaches thinking that they're, they're looking to take their positions, they're looking to take that, that Division one program job, that Division one program role. Um, and look, I think, I think as strength coaches, um, in general, we we need to just remain, and, and I say this as a general because I've had many, many open doors from other coaches that have helped me out with understanding what it's like to be a director and, and understanding what it's like to run a program. So I'm, I'm truly appreciative of that. Um, and I think just having an open door policy needs to continue to happen. And, and I think being up front with other coaches mm. is, is crucial because, I mean, I, I'm quite excited with what I'm doing at Hanover and and where I can take the program and what we can do as long as sort of the buy-in and, and the intent behind what we're doing continues. Um, so if I'm meeting a coach from a, a big school, I want them to know that I'm looking to get, again, tools from their toolbox to kind of say, how can I implement them at my level rather than have you got a job for me? Um, and I think honesty is the, the biggest thing is that, hey, coach, look, I'm telling you right now, I just want to see what you're doing. I'm not looking for a foot in the door. I'm not looking for that next level. I'm not looking to take anyone's job. Um, I'm just looking to reach out to someone who, from my experience, I've been in the, the collegiate world for a little over two years. So I'm, I'm a, a greenhorn when it comes to that. Um, and you've got guys that have been in the industry, guys and women that, have been in the industry for 30 plus years so why would I not reach out to them and and give them sort of the the credit that that is due Mm -hmm. um to be able to help out a a younger strength coach or or a fresh strength coach to the industry yeah I think that's something that um more coaches need to be better about is uh just reaching out to those coaches um like like you're talking about I think having that open door policy where you can go and visit somebody and say, Hey, I'm not, I'm just wanting to learn that. That's all it is. And, um, I know personally for myself and I know for yourself when this has happened, when you reach out to those coaches and you learn so much, um, and you just say, Hey, I'm just here to learn from you and, and to bring that back to my own program. That's where I've had the most growth personally, um, as a coach. And I know that it's a, it's a thing that I think we're slowly transitioning to that way. Um, that's a big reason why I created the podcast is so, you know, other coaches can reach out to other coaches and have that open door policy. So I love what you just said right there. Yeah. And, and look, being the D3 level, um, having summers where I, I don't have the ability to work, um, hands on with my athletes. Uh, I mean, that's prime time that yeah. where, where, wherever I can go, whoever I can speak with, um, I, I 
sort of venture around to, to schools within a couple hours. Um, I'm lucky enough that the director of Olympic sports, John Spurlock, at University of Kentucky, uh, is a Hanover grad. Um, so he's he's had nothing but an open door whenever I've asked to, to come down and see what they're doing down there and, and obviously successful programs and, and everything from there to uh, Coach Martinez when I was just out for the strength conference in San Antonio um, was more than willing to, to let me come in and see what his his swim and dive team were doing and, and kind of getting two different perspectives from, again, the, the top of the top Division One levels to the top of the top Division Three levels or even just networking with coaches and saying, hey, how can I help you out? Yeah. Um, I don't know it all, but, but here's what I'm doing and maybe it can work for you. Yeah, exactly. Seeing how you can help them. Um, I, I, just being a generally good person too as well. I mean, you can just hear that in your voice that you have that passion to make handover the best place that it possibly can. And I think you said, you, you kind of said around that too, is you know, you're making handover, um, making it the big time where you're at. I think that's where some coaches maybe at the, the NAI level or maybe the the lower levels think like, oh, I'm not at Kentucky or I'm not at Alabama or whatever. Well, why can't Alabama, you know, why can't Alabama be where you're at right there? You know, make it the best possible place that it can be for your athletes. Yes. And look, again, we're, we're starting to get that. And, and success at this level, look, most of my athletes, uh, if not all, will, will go into the field and, and they will, will go into their professional careers um, in what they're doing respectively. And, and again, when they come into my weight room, it's, it's more than just coach wants us to pick up and put down weights today. It's, it's something where I want to teach them sort of that discipline, that organization, that, yeah. that respect of what they get um, sort of given to them for these sessions. And, and as I said, look, if they're willing to show me the respect, the discipline, the, the, the organization, within the weight room, again, leaving it better than when we came in um, and and holding yourself accountable to you've made a commitment on a time uh, and being prompt about getting there on time. All of these factors that when you leave Hanover College um, and, again, you start work at 7 a.m. Or, or 8 a.m. or 6 a.m., um, you're, you're diligent in getting there on time and, and putting forth the best work you can for that day. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, kind of goes back to what you said a little bit ago. Um, you're preparing them not just for year one, you're preparing them for year five, year six, year seven, later in life. I think that's huge, man. That's the true sign of a great coach, in my opinion. I appreciate that, mate. Very much appreciate it. Yeah, that's, that, that's big time right there. Because um, I, I know that the people um, that influenced me as a coach growing up were those same exact people. They said, if you can't make it to a you know a six a.m. weight session, or you can't make it to a six a.m. practice, who's to say you're going to make it to work on time at seven a.m. when you've got two kids, you got a mortgage, and you got you know you got bills to pay? So, I think that's big time. Let's so let's kind of you know kind of wrap things up a little bit here. Um, question I like to always kind of ask coaches here on the last couple episodes, or you know let's say twenty year old Alex. You can go back in time and give him some advice. What's what's the advice that you would give him? Look, I'd, I'd have to give twenty-year-old Alex the advice to, to kind of find a track a little bit sooner. Yeah. Um, look, I would I wouldn't change anything um, that that I've I've done and where I've ended up and and my professional career has sort of led me to where I am now. Obviously, but um, 
reach out to more coaches and, and as 20-year-olds, try and get that internship, try and get a little bit more experience in in knowing how to um, how to reach out and network and and show coaches that you're just willing to learn um, and trying to, to kind of zone in a little bit more. I'm, I'm actually undertaking my master's degree now um, in human performance at Liberty. Mm-hmm. And I'd probably say to my, my 20-year-old self, get into that straight after school um, because the, the schoolwork you were doing as a, an undergrad was, was minimal in comparison to, as you mentioned, the, the kids and the, the full-time job and, and the, the real world. Um, trying to incorporate that within that becomes uh, substantially more difficult in, in terms of the life-work balance. No, that's great advice. Yeah, I, I have the same thing that I would say is, you know, for myself is just reaching out to, to coaches sooner. Um, so quick question here. Um, what's your uh, favorite superhero? Favorite superhero? I'm going to have to say uh, – I'll be cliche here. I know, I know many people say Superman, but um, I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind a, few of, uh, a few of his characteristics. I'd, I'd take him, so I'd have, to say, I'd have to say Superman on that one. Okay. All right. Perfect. Do you have a favorite uh, ice cream? Ice cream, peppermint chocolate chip. That's an easy one. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. All right, Coach. Well, you know, I appreciate you just coming on here, um, giving some insight what you're doing over at Hanover. I think there's a lot of great uh, information that you that you just gave us here on the podcast. I really appreciate you coming on. If coaches want to get in contact with you, professionals want to get in contact with you. What's the easiest way to, to uh, get in hold of you? Again, everything uh, will be in the show notes for you guys as far as his uh, social media and emails and stuff like that. But how can the coaches get in contact with you? Yeah, um, look, my, one of my easiest ways to get in contact, which um, obviously we, we linked up with, is Instagram. Um, I've got two, two separate accounts. Um, the first one is A. Macon, a strength coach. And the other one is Iron Panthers, and that's our official um, Hanover Sports Performance Athletic page. Um, either that or Macon, M-A-K-I-N, at hanover.edu. Um, and by all means, shoot me an email. Um, it may take me a second to get back, but I truly do try and try and sort of get back to, to anyone that um, does reach out and, and sort of feels that, that I'm worthy of, of asking for advice or even just kind of networking with and, and seeing if I can help them out in any way. I mean, if he doesn't get back to you guys within like 10 minutes, give the guy a break. He's dealing with like 400 athletes. <laughs> Come on now. No. Make, make, make it at least 15. We'll be all right. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, uh, again, thank you, Coach, for being on here. I'll make sure that all that information is down in the show notes. Um, coaches, reach out to him. Uh, he's a great guy. Uh, we talked a little bit before the podcast, and I'm sure we're going to talk afterwards here. Um, he's a great resource for everybody. Reach out to him, and always stay strong.